0: of his mind is just uh, an amazing thing to me. Well, would you open your Bible, please, with me to the Gospel of Luke and the second chapter as we conclude the Christmas series, looking at the names with Christmas glory. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I heard in the news a couple of days ago that uh, the spacecraft that we launched toward one of the moons around Jupiter is beginning to send back some more information. The information was gathered a week ago but only received this weekend here on planet Earth. We have received a message from outer space, but it's not the first one. There is a message that's been received from outer space 2,000 years ago that is far beyond anything that could be received from planet Jupiter. For the message that we received from outer space 2,000 years ago is the message of God in his Son, Jesus Christ. But even before that message, God has been sending messages from outer space since the beginning of creation. Listen to the words of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You see, from outer space, we have been receiving messages from God for thousands of years. That's what we call general revelation. That is that God is giving this revelation about his existence generally to all men. His power and his wisdom are on display day and night for people of every tribe and every tongue to behold and to hear. But as gracious as that revelation is from God, it is insufficient for anyone to find salvation. For the sinner to be saved, he must have specific knowledge. He must have more than the general knowledge that God exists in great wisdom and power. He must have specific knowledge of the truth of God's loving, self-sacrificing action at the cross in the death of his Son. That kind of revelation is what is called special revelation. It provides an understanding of the personhood of God, that he is an eternal being of moral perfection, that he is a being of holiness and justice, as well as mercy and grace. Like all people in the world, we have need for the general revelation from God, but we have a greater need for the particular Revelation of God's person that comes in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews taps into this idea when he says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Uh, those prophets that the writer was speaking about, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses and all of the rest, those prophets had delivered specific revelation too. But they were looking forward to the fullness of God's revelation in the Messiah. And the writer of Hebrews says, Now in these last days, God has finally given this word, He has spoken by his son. The period of time from the end of the Old Testament prophets to the coming of Jesus was about 400 years. Malachi laid down his pen, and there was no word from God for four centuries. It was a silent period. And it was a dark one. In those 400 years, Daniel's prophetic vision of the destruction of the Persian Empire, of the rise and fall of Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire, and then the emergence of oppressive Rome, all of those things played out in those 400 years. There were great civilizations that came and went. Well-known thinkers, poets, and historians who are revered in the world still today lived and died in those 400 years. But despite all of that civilization, all of that culture, it was a time of moral and spiritual darkness. It was into that darkness That Jesus came as the light of revelation. That's what Simeon calls him. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ came to bring the knowledge of God to us as the light of revelation. Now when we speak about him being the light of revelation, we need to understand that this is a metaphorical name. It describes what his life and teaching were like. By what he said and how he lived, he brought understanding that dispels the darkness of ignorance. The lack of the knowledge of God is darkness, but the gaining of the knowledge of God is light. Jesus Christ is the one who, who can light the way out of darkness for anyone, Jew or Gentile, he can light the way out of your darkness as well. First thing I want you to see today is this, that Jesus Christ brings the light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's specifically what Simeon said. Gentiles, of course, are any people that are non-Jews. It is a a racial category. There are Jews, and then there are Gentiles, and obviously many more Gentiles. Gentiles were ignorant of the true God. Gentiles were in darkness. Now, there's some exception to that. There is some little bit of light that comes even to the Gentiles down through the traditions, We can see that in some of the oddest places. For example, in some of the characters in the Chinese language, you see hints of the truth of the Bible in the way the characters are fashioned. Or you have a man like Melchizedek, who lived in a pagan city of Jerus, but was nonetheless the priest of the Most High God. But generally... It is true to say the Gentiles are in darkness. Even the Apostle Paul admitted such by these words in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. That's what you were like. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. He pictures this as the Jews, as it were, being near and the Gentiles being far away. And now he says, in Christ Jesus, even... We who were Gentiles by birth and in great darkness have been brought near to God. And so he exhorts Gentiles as well as Jews in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, there's an interesting little switch here. Before he said, you who are Gentiles by birth, he addresses them that way, but now he says, you're not really a Gentile anymore. He says, you who have believed, stop living like them, the Gentiles. You may have been born by your first birth a Gentile, but you have been born again, and by that second birth, you have been set apart to God. You've been sanctified. You've been brought near. Now, because of that, don't live like those people, the Gentiles. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, with continual lust for more. The apostle says, you're no longer like that, so don't live that way. You've been born again. You have been brought near to God. You have now the light of revelation. Don't live like those who are still in darkness. What we see in this name, the light of revelation, is that God chooses to be known even among the Gentiles. And in becoming known, God is seeking his own glory among the Gentiles. That is not wrong for God to seek his own glory. In fact, it is very good for God to do that because it is the knowledge of God that is the greatest good a man can have. And so for God to advance his glory by making himself known among the Gentiles is to give the Gentiles the very best possible gift they can have. And when he does that, he brings light to dispel the darkness that Gentiles were shrouded in through the thousands of years. This relation of darkness and light is a motif that is found throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. For example, in the book of Genesis, It begins by saying the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Darkness was there. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, which suggests that there is some expectation, that there is a preparation by the Spirit of God doing this. And in the very next verse it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. In chapters 3 through 11 of Genesis, what we really have is the entrance of moral and spiritual darkness into this creation. And then we see its malignant growth in the human race, culminating with the flood and the judgment that that was. And then again at Babel, When the world rejected the knowledge of God, it was turned to the lies of false worship, exalting human thinking above God's truth, and with that came all kinds of immoral behavior. Into that darkness in Genesis, God also spoke again. And what he said was to one man, his name was Abraham, and he said, Abraham, get out to the land that I will show you. Remember Abraham was a gentile. He became the father of the Jews because his son was Isaac, his grandson was Jacob, who was Israel. But Abraham was a gentile. But God gave to this man special revelation and said, "Come out." And God appeared to him and gave him promises. And then to his descendants, the Jews, there came special revelation of God through the law. And that nation had great privilege because of that. They received the light of revelation through the law, but they did not obey it. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Paul alike declared that God's name was even blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the Jews' failure to live up to the light that they received. Israel had that light. The Gentiles were in darkness. What had been known of God from the beginning was suppressed by the Gentiles. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, his eternal power and divine nature. These being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse, Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then, in the time when there was the greatest darkness, perhaps in the ancient world, God spoke in His Son. And when God spoke in Jesus, it was intended to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. You see, the Messiah was promised to come from Israel, but Messiah was for all the nations of the world. That is why even Isaiah the prophet, in the 42nd chapter of his book, records these words of the Lord. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Now God is speaking to his servant, Messiah. I've called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And then again in chapter 49 of Isaiah, Messiah himself now speaks. And he says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant. Isn't that interesting? 700 years before the virgin birth, Messiah says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth, this has been called by some the Great Commission of the Old Testament. For it is evident centuries before the Great Commission was given by our Lord Jesus that God makes it clear that his salvation is to go to the ends of the earth. God is a missionary God. He desires for the light of revelation to go to the dark the dark places in the suburbs, the dark places in Sarajevo, the dark places of the inner city, the dark places of Indonesia, all are alike to God and all are the objects of his love. And he has sent his son as a light of revelation. And he brings the light of revelation to the Gentiles but there's a second thing I want you to see, and that is that he also brings the light of revelation to individuals. <clears throat> because, you see, when we talk about Gentiles, it's a group. It's hard to get your hands on it. It's like trying to, to get a hold of Jell-O. Gentiles. So what I want you to see is that Jesus is the light of revelation to individuals, like you. And it's necessary that he is, because not only of the personal darkness that is in man, but the supernatural darkness that is around us. The Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He says Satan blinds the eyes of people so that when you witness to someone, they say, I just don't see it. They couldn't be more biblical. They couldn't be more accurate. They can't see it because of the supernatural blindness, not only the personal darkness, the supernatural blindness and darkness that is upon them. Indeed, if anyone is going to be saved, it is the work of sovereign grace. It is God entering into that darkness and opening the eyes and lifting the darkness, just as he did with Saul on the road to Damascus. In the Christmas season of 1879, D.L. Moody was holding a meeting in Boston, Massachusetts. About three weeks before he got there, an agnostic reporter for the paper in Boston was out walking the streets one day, and he saw three little girls standing in front of a window, one of them obviously sightless she was blind. It was a toy store, and her two friends on one on either side were trying to describe to her what that doll looked like in the window. The reporter observed this, and he was so impressed that he went back to his office and wrote us an article that then appeared in that newspaper about that experience and how difficult it must be to try to explain to someone who can't see what something looks like. Well, the, the weeks passed, and and Moody was in town to preach, and this agnostic reporter was assigned to go hear Moody. And so he did. And much to his surprise, Moody used that newspaper account that he had written as an illustration. And he said, just as the blind girl couldn't visualize the toy, so an unsaved person can't see Christ in all his glory. But he went on to explain that God opens the eyes of anyone who acknowledges his sin and accepts the Savior in humble faith. And believe it or not, in that very meeting, the newspaper man discovered the truth himself, his eyes being opened. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following His desires and thoughts like the rest. We were objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgression, it is by grace you have been saved. And that's my point. Whether you talk about darkness that needs to be dispelled or you talk about death that needs to have life given, it is grace. It is by grace that we are saved. Not of our work. Wilbur Nelson, is the speaker, has been years past the speaker on the morning chapel hour that some of us have listened to. She told a story one time about a a couple, a fellow and a gal who were in Scotland walking along, talking, and they began talking about a a mutual acquaintance of theirs whose name was Mary. And uh, the young lady said, Mary has what I call a radiant personality. And the other said, yes, that's right. She does and the first said, but, but how do you account for that? How do you account for that in Mary? And the young man pondered it for a moment, and just about that time they rounded a bend in the path, and there on the other side of the stream was a castle. And he says, do you see that castle over there? She said, yes, I do. He said, well, when I was a small boy, I would sit here on this side of the stream, and I would look at that castle. And I could always tell how many people were at home by how much light there was in the windows. He said, if it was just the family that was there, then there would be a dim light from the windows of the castle. But he said, if they had friends over and a lot of guests, then there would be a lot of light. And he said, I even remember one time when royalty visited, and there was light flooding from every window of the castle. And he said, you know, I think that's Mary's secret. He's entertaining a royal guest. You know, when you and I entertain the royal guest, Jesus Christ, in our lives, when we invite him in, he causes that light to be seen. And that brings me to my third point that I want to make. Jesus Christ is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the light of revelation to individuals He is the light of revelation through his people. I read earlier Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6 about Christ being the light of revelation to the Gentiles. It is interesting that the, the Apostle Paul applied that verse to himself and to Barnabas in Acts chapter 13. Listen to these words. Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, speaking to the Jews in that city. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see what Paul did? Paul knew that that verse was Messiah speaking in Isaiah 49. See, that's the interpretation of it. But he says it applies to us, Paul, or to Barnabas and myself, as it applies to you and me. He says God has made us a light, a revelation to others. This, of course, fits with what he said in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, once you were darkness." But now you are light. You are light in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, he picks up the same theme. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. There was a woman who was complaining to a pastor about her situation at work. She was the only Christian that was there, and she felt overwhelmed by the darkness. She was often ridiculed for her faith. She went to her pastor to ask his counsel about quitting the job and trying to find a better one. And after listening to her complaints, her wise pastor asked her this question where do people usually put light? She said, in dark places. And then the light went on her mind and she realized that in the dark place of that office, she was God's light. Can you look at your situation the same way? That place where you work maybe your own family situation, that you are there, God's light, you are his illumination and who holds forth the word of life. You see, God desires for his revelation to go to the darkest regions of the earth and the darkest recesses of the heart. But for it to get there, he has to have someone who will carry it. You and I, who are light in the Lord, are bearers of the light. We go into the darkness. We go into the inner city. We go to Sarajevo, as some of you will in just a few days. We go to our families. We go to that factory job and bear the light of the gospel. For God illuminates the darkness through us. when he was but a little boy in Scotland, Robert Louis Stevenson, the author, used to follow the lamplighter around his city. He would watch the man bring along his ladder and the fire and go from lamppost to lamp post, climbing up, lighting the gas lamp, down up to the next one and through the city he went. <clears throat> one night as he was watching the lamplighter, he exclaims to his parents, Look, look, there's that man out there punching holes in the darkness. You see, that's what God's called us to do. For we live in a dark, dark, dark world, and it's getting darker. But you see, you put light in dark places. God has called you and me to punch holes in the darkness that, that enshrouds people around us. And so my closing question is this. To whom will you carry the light in 1997? To whom will you carry the light in 1997? God has placed you in a circle of influence a purpose and part of that purpose is to be light and to hold forth the word of light and to punch holes in the darkness for his sake and the sake of the one who came is the light of revelation and so let's allow that question just to, to focus our thinking as we close the service lord who do you have out there for me well, who is it that needs the light I'm bearing? And let them lay that name upon your heart, or that group upon your heart, and carry the light to them. Let's pray together. This a little chorus that says, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart, and love that soul for me and may I nobly do my part to win that soul for thee. May that be our prayer today. Can you bring to mind at least one person in your circle of acquaintance to whom you can bring the light? Who would that be? Name that person before God right now and say to the Lord, I will carry the light to that one Let's stand together, please, and with bowed heads, let's pray to the Lord that chorus that I quoted a moment ago. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart, and love that soul to me, and may I nobly do my part. To win that soul for thee. Lord, show us what our part is. Thank you for Jesus, who is the light of revelation, to the Gentiles, to the world, to us. And show us our part as we carry the light to others in this coming year. And may we... Dispel the darkness, punch holes in the darkness, as we're used by the Holy Spirit to live out and to give out the word of life. Help us to hold it high, to hold it courageously, to hold it boldly in this dark world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.